chapter thirty six of the garys and their friends by frank webb this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty six and the last with such celerity did mr balch work in behalf of his wards that he soon had everything in train for the recovery of the property at first george stevens was inclined to oppose the execution of the will but he was finally prevailed upon by his advisers to make no difficulty respecting it and quietly resign what he must inevitably sooner or later relinquish lizzie stevens on the contrary seemed rather glad that an opportunity was afforded to do justice to her old playmates and won the good opinion of all parties by her gentleness and evident anxiety to atone for the wrong done them by her father even after the demands of the executors of mr geary were fully satisfied such had been the thrift of her father that there still remained a comfortable support for her and her brother to poor clarence this accession of fortune brought no new pleasure he already had sufficient for his modest wants and now that his greatest hope in life had been blighted this addition of wealth became to him rather a burden than a pleasure he was now completely excluded from the society in which he had so long been accustomed to move the secret of his birth had become widely known and he was avoided by his former friends and sneered at as a nigger his large fortune kept some two or three whites about him but he knew they were leeches seeking to bleed his purse and he wisely avoided their society he was very wretched and lonely he felt ashamed to seek the society of colored men now that the whites despised and rejected him so he lived apart from both classes of society and grew moody and misanthropic mr balch endeavored to persuade him to go abroad to visit europe he would not he did not confess it but the truth was he could not tear himself away from the city where little birdie dwelt where he now and then could catch a glimpse of her to solace him in his loneliness he was growing paler and more fragile looking each day and the doctor at last frankly told him that if he desired to live he must seek some warmer climate for the winter reluctantly clarence obeyed in the fall he left new york and during the cold months wandered through the west india islands for a while his health improved but when the novelty produced by change of scene began to decline he grew worse again and brooded more deeply than ever over his bitter disappointment and consequently derived but little benefit from the change the spirit was too much broken for the body to mend his heart was too sore to beat healthfully or happily 
he wrote often now to emily and her husband and seemed desirous to atone for his past neglect emily had written to him first she had learned of his disappointment and gave him a sister's sympathy in his loneliness and sorrow the chilly month of march had scarcely passed away when they received a letter from him informing them of his intention to return he wrote i am no better and my physician says that a longer residence here will not benefit me in the least but i came too late i coughed 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 incessantly and each day become more feeble i am coming home emmy coming home i fear to die i am but a ghost of my former self i write you this that you may not be alarmed when you see me it is too late now to repine but o oh, m if my lot had only been cast with yours had we never been separated i might have been to-day as happy as you are it was a clear bright morning when charlie stepped into a boat to be conveyed to the ship in which clarence had returned to new york she had arrived the evening previous and had not yet come up to the dock the air came up the bay fresh and invigorating from the sea beyond and the water sparkled as it dripped from the oars which with monotonous regularity broke the almost unruffled surface of the bay some of the ship's sails were shaken out to dry in the morning sun and the cordage hung loosely and carelessly from the masts and yards a few sailors lounged idly about the deck and leaned over the side to watch the boat as it approached with their aid it was soon secured alongside and charlie clambered up the ladder and stood upon the deck of the vessel on inquiring for clarence he was shown into the cabin where he found him extended on a sofa he raised himself as he saw charlie approach and extending his hand exclaimed how kind i did not expect you until we reached the shore for a moment charlie could not speak the shock caused by clarence's altered appearance was too great the change was terrible when he had last seen him he was vigorous-looking erect and healthful now he was bent and emaciated to a frightful extent the veins on his temples were clearly discernible the muscles of his throat seemed like grey cords his cheeks were hollow his sunken eyes were glassy bright and surrounded with a dark rim and his breathing was short and evidently painful charlie held his thin fleshless hand in his own and gazed in his face with an anguished expression i look badly don't i charlie said he with assumed indifference worse than you expected eh charlie hesitated a little and then answered rather bad but it is owing to your seasickness i suppose that has probably reduced you considerably then this close cabin must be most unfavourable to your health i'll wait until we get you home we shall soon have you better home repeated clarence home how delightful that word sounds i feel it is going home to go to you and m and he leant back and repeated the word home and paused afterward as one touches some favourite note upon an instrument and then silently listens to its vibrations how is m he asked at length oh well very well replied charlie she has been busy as a bee ever since she received your last letter such a charming room as she has prepared for you 
ah charlie rejoined clarence mournfully i shall not live long to enjoy it i fear nonsense interrupted charlie hopefully don't be so desponding clary here is spring again everything is thriving and bursting into new life you too will catch the spirit of the season and grow in health and strength again why my dear fellow continued he cheerfully you can't help getting better when we once get hold of you mother's gruels dr burdett's prescriptions and m's nursing would lift a man out of his coffin come now don't let us hear anything more about dying clarence pressed his hand and looked at him affectionately as though he appreciated his efforts to cheer him and felt thankful for them but he only shook his head and smiled mournfully let me help your man to get you up when once you get ashore you'll feel better i've no doubt we are not going to an hotel but to the house of a friend who has kindly offered to make you comfortable until you are able to travel with the assistance of charlie and the servant clarence was gradually prepared to go ashore he was exceedingly weak could scarcely totter across the deck and it was with some difficulty that they at last succeeded in placing him safely in the boat after they landed a carriage was soon procured and in a short time thereafter clarence was comfortably established in the house of charlie's friend their hostess a dear old motherly creature declared that she knew exactly what clarence needed and concocted such delicious broths made such strengthening gruels that clarence could not avoid eating and in a day or two he declared himself better than he had been for a month and felt quite equal to the journey to philadelphia the last night of their stay in new york was unusually warm and clarence informed charlie he wished to go out for a walk i wish to go a long distance don't think me foolish when i tell you where i want to look at the house where little birdie lives it may be for the last time i have a presentiment that i shall see her if i go i'm sure i shall added he positively as though he felt the conviction that his desire would be accomplished i would not clary remonstrated charlie your health won't permit the exertion it is a long distance too you say moreover don't you think my dear fellow that it is far more prudent to endeavour if possible to banish her from your mind entirely don't permit yourself to think about her if you can help it you know she is unattainable by you and you should make an effort to conquer your attachment it is too late too late now charlie he replied mournfully i shall continue to love her as i do now until i draw my last breath i know it is hopeless i know she can never be more to me than she already is but i cannot help loving her let us go i may see her once again ah charlie you cannot even dream what inexpressible pleasure the merest glimpse of her affords me come let us go charlie would not permit him to attempt to walk and they procured a carriage in which they rode to within a short distance of the house the mansion of mr bates appeared quite gloomy as they approached it the blinds were down and no lights visible in any part of the house i am afraid they are out of town remarked charlie when clarence pointed out the house everything looks so dull about it let us cross over to the other pavement and they walked over to the other side of the street and gazed upward at the house let us sit down here suggested clarence here on this broad stone it is quite dark now and no one will observe us no no remonstrated charlotte the stone is too damp and cold is it said clarence vacantly and taking out his handkerchief he spread it out and in spite of charlie's dissuasion sat down upon it charlie said he after gazing at the house a long time in silence i've often come here and remained half the night looking at her windows 
people have passed by stared at me as though they thought me crazy i was half crazy then i think one night i remember i came and sat here for hours far in the night i saw her come to the window throw up the casement and look out that was in the summer before i went away you know there she stood in the moonlight gazing upward at the sky so pale so calm and holy-looking in her pure white dress that i should not have thought it strange if the heavens had opened and angels descended and borne her away with them on their wings and clarence closed his eyes as he concluded to call back upon the mirror of his mind the image of little birdie as she appeared that night they waited a long while during which there was no evidence exhibited that there was any one in the house at last just as they were about to move away they described the glimmer of a light in the room which clarence declared to be her room his frame trembled with expectation and he walked to and fro opposite the house with an apparent strength that surprised his companion at length the light disappeared again and with it clarence's hopes now then we must go said charlie it is useless for you to expose yourself in this manner i insist upon your coming home reluctantly clarence permitted himself to be led across the street again as they were leaving the pavement he turned to look back again and uttering a cry of surprise and joy he startled charlie by clutching his arm look look he cried there she is my little birdie charlie looked up at the window almost immediately above them and observed a slight pale girl who was gazing up the street in an opposite direction little birdie little birdie whispered clarence tenderly she did not look toward them but after standing there a few seconds moved from between the curtains and disappeared thank god for that exclaimed clarence passionately i knew i knew i should see her i knew it repeated he exultingly and then overcome with joy he bowed his head upon charlie's shoulder and wept like a child don't think me foolish charlie apologized he i cannot help it i will go home now oh brother i feel so much happier and with a step less faint and trembling he walked back to the carriage the following evening he was at home but so enfeebled with the exertions of the last two days as to be obliged to take to his bed immediately after his arrival his sister greeted him affectionately threw her arms about his neck and kissed him tenderly years of coldness and estrangement were forgotten in that moment and they were once more to each other as they were before they parted emily tried to appear as though she did not notice the great change in his appearance and talked cheerfully and encouragingly in his presence but she wept bitterly when alone over the final separation which she foresaw was not far distant the next day dr burdett called on his grave manner and apparent disinclination to encourage any hope confirmed the hopeless impression they already entertained aunt ada came from sudbury at emily's request she knew her presence would give pleasure to clarence she accordingly wrote her to come and she and emily nursed by turns the failing sufferer esther and her husband mrs ellis and caddy and even kinch were unremitting in their attentions and did all in their power to amuse and comfort him day by day he faded perceptibly grew more and more feeble until at last dr burdett began to number days instead of weeks as his term of life clarence anticipated death with calmness did not repine or murmur father banks was often with him cheering him with hopes of a happier future beyond the grave one day he sent for his sister and desired her to write a letter for him m said he i am failing fast these fiery spots on my cheek the scorching in my palms these hard-drawn difficult breaths warn me that the time is very near don't weep m continued he kissing her 
there don't weep i shall be better off happier i'm sure don't weep now i want you to write to little birdie for me i've tried but my hand trembles so that i cannot write legibly i gave it up sit down beside me here and write here is the pen emily dried her eyes and mechanically sat down to write as he desired motioning to him that she was ready he dictated my dear little birdie i once resolved never to write to you again and partially promised your father that i would not then i did not dream that i should be so soon compelled to break my resolution little birdie i'm dying my physician informs me that i have but a few more days to live i have been trying to break away from earth's affairs and fix my thoughts on other and better things i have given up all but you and feel that i cannot relinquish you until i see you once again do not refuse me little birdie show this to your father he must consent to a request made by one on the brink of the grave there that will do let me read it over said he extending his hand for the note yes i will sign it now then do you add our address send it now emily send it in time for to-night's mail clary do you think she will come inquired his sister yes replied he confidently i am sure she will if the note reaches her emily said no more but sealed and directed the note which she immediately dispatched to the post-office and on the following day it reached little birdie from the time when the secret of clarence's birth had been discovered until the day she had received his note she never mentioned his name at the demand of her father she produced his letters miniature and even the little presents he had given her from time to time and laid them down before him without a murmur after this even when he cursed and denounced him she only left the room never uttering a word in his defence she moved about like one who had received a stunning blow she was dull cold apathetic she would smile vacantly when her father smoothed her hair or kissed her cheek but she never laughed or sang and played as in days gone by she would recline for hours on the sofa in her room gazing vacantly in the air and taking apparently no interest in anything about her she bent her head when she walked complained of coldness about her temples and kept her hand constantly upon her heart doctors were at last consulted they pronounced her physically well and thought that time would restore her wanted animation but month after month she grew more dull and silent until her father feared she would become idiotic and grew hopeless and unhappy about her for a week before the receipt of the note from clarence she had been particularly apathetic and indifferent but it seemed to rouse her into life again she started up after reading it and rushed wildly through the hall into her father's library see here exclaimed she grasping his arm see there i knew it i felt day after day that it was coming to that you separated us and now he is dying dying cried she read it read it her father took the note and after perusing it laid it on the table and said coldly well well repeated she with agitation oh father it is not well father said she hurriedly you bid me give him up told me he was unworthy pointed out to me fully and clearly why we could not marry i was convinced we could not for i knew you would never let it be yet i have never ceased to love him i cannot control my heart but i could my voice and never since that day have i spoken his name i gave him up not that i would not have gladly married knowing what he was because you desired it because i saw either your heart must break or mine i let mine go to please you and have suffered uncomplainingly and will so suffer until the end but i must see him once again it would be a pleasure to him to see me once again in this dying hour and i must go if you love me continued she pleadingly as her father made a gesture of dissent let us go you see he is dying 
begs you from the brink of the grave let me go only to say good-bye to him and then perhaps concluded she pressing her hand upon her heart i shall be better here her father had not the heart to make any objection and the next day they started for philadelphia they dispatched a note to clarence saying they had arrived which emily received and after opening it went to great gently break its contents to her brother you must prepare yourself for visitors clary said she no doubt some of our friends will call to-day the weather is so very delightful do you know who is coming he inquired yes dear she answered seating herself beside him i received a note stating that a particular friend will call to-day one that you desire to see ah he exclaimed it is little bertie is it not yes he replied they have arrived in town and will be here to-day did not i tell you so said he triumphantly i knew she would come i knew it continued he joyfully let me get up i am strong enough she has come oh she has come clarence insisted on being dressed with extraordinary care his long fierce-looking beard was trimmed carefully and he looked much better than he had done for weeks he was wonderfully stronger walked across the room and chatted over his breakfast with unusual animation at noon they came and were shown into the drawing-room where emily received them mr bates bowed politely and expressed a hope that mr gary was better emily held out her hand to little bertie who clasped it in both her own and said inquiringly you are his sister yes answered emily you i should have known from clarence's description you are his little birdie she did not reply her lip quivered and she pressed emily's hand and kissed her he is impatient to see you resumed emily and if you are so disposed we will go up immediately i will remain here observed mr bates unless mr gary particularly desires to see me my daughter will accompany you emily took the hand of little birdie in her own and they walked together up the stairway you must not be frightened at his appearance she remarked tearfully he is gratefully changed little birdie only shook her head her heart seemed too full for speech and she stepped on a little faster keeping her hand pressed on her breast all the while when they reached the door emily was about to open it but her companion stopped her by saying wait a moment stop how my heart beats it almost suffocates me they paused for a few moments to permit little birdie to recover from her agitation then throwing open the door they advanced into the room clarence said his sister he did not answer he was looking down into the garden she approached nearer and gently laying her hand on his shoulder said here is your little birdie clarence he neither moved nor spoke clarence cried she louder no answer she touched his face it was warm he's fainted exclaimed she and ringing the bell violently she screamed for help her husband and the nurse rushed into the room then came aunt ada and mr bates they bathed his temples held strong salts to his nostrils still he did not revive finally the nurse opened his bosom and placed her hand upon his heart it was still quite still clarence was dead at first they could not believe it let me speak to him exclaimed little birdie distractedly you will hear my voice and answer clarence clarence she cried all in vain all in vain clarence was dead they gently bore her away that dull cold look came back again upon her face and left it never more in life she walked about mournfully for a few years pressing her hand upon her heart and then passed away to join her lover where distinctions in race or colour are unknown and where the prejudices of earth cannot mar their happiness our tale is now soon finished they buried clarence beside his parents coloured people followed him to his last home and wept over his grave 
of all the many whites that he had known aunt ada and mr balch were the only ones that mingled their tears with those who listened to the solemn words of father banks ashes to ashes dust to dust we too clarence cast a tear upon thy tomb poor victim of prejudice to thy colour and deemed thee better off resting upon thy cold pillow of earth than battling with that malignant sentiment that persecuted thee and has crushed energy hope and life from many stronger hearts aunt adabel remained for a short time with emily and then returned to sudbury where during the remainder of her life she never omitted an opportunity of doing a kindness to a coloured person and when the increasing liberality of sentiment opened a way for the admission of coloured pupils to the famous school of sudbury they could always procure board at her house and aunt ada was a friend and mother to them walters and dear old s reared a fine family and the brown baby and her sister took numberless premiums at school to the infinite delight of their parents they also had a boy whom they named charlie he inherited his uncle's passionate fondness for marbles which fondness it has been ascertained is fostered by his uncle who tis said furnishes the sinews of war when there is a dearth in the treasury of master walters ginch and caddy were finally united after various difficulties raised by the latter who found it almost impossible to procure a house in such a state of order as would warrant her entering upon the blissful state of matrimony when it was all over ginch professed to his acquaintances generally to be living in a perfect state of bliss but he privately intimated to charlie that if caddy would permit him to come in at the front door and not condemn him to go through the alley whenever there happened to be a shower and would let him smoke where he liked he would be much more contented when last heard from they had a little caddy the very image of its mother a wonderful little girl who instead of buying candy and cake with her sixpences as other children did gravely invested them in miniature washboards and dust-brushes and was saving up her money to purchase a tiny stove with a full set of cooking utensils caddy declares her a child worth having charles and emily took a voyage to europe for the health of the latter and returned after a two years tour to settle permanently in his native city they were unremitting in their attention to father and mother ellis who lived to good old age surrounded by their children and grandchildren End of chapter thirty six end of the garys and their friends by frank webb